Would you please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verses 11 through 13. And as you're turning there, I do want to emphasize uh, this opportunity that we have this evening in which to watch this documentary. I received an email from, from a family member who heard about the possibility of being able to watch this. It's being uh, released in the Modesto theaters next week. This is why we had to watch it this Sunday. Uh, from Grace Productions, they extended it to us, and um, they wanted to make sure that our elder board and our, our pastor, which was me, he didn't know, know I was the pastor responding to him, uh, that they, we were on board with this. And I just want to take a moment and just encourage you to come. Uh, our elders responded with eagerness, yes. And there was a few reasons that came from our leadership. And one was, um, we may not know exactly enough what we think about COVID and what kind of took place with um, the reality of being okay to go out and, and riot all you wanted and destroy things and yet have the church be silenced. Uh, the, the, the documentary follows the elders of Grace Community and a few other churches as they navigated that. Um, come to the right understanding of, of Romans 13. Um, whereas, whereas we're under authority, we're under that leadership, but when the authority comes and says, uh, jump off a cliff, that's pretty easy for us. If our governor says, hey, we want you all to go over here and kill yourselves, I think we'd all say no to that. Uh, but when the government comes and says, you need to shut your doors and stop singing and worshiping Christ, I think the believer says, no, we're not going to do that. And so we follow this church as they work theologically through it, as they dealt with L.A. County, which had many lawsuits against the church. And they even threatened to put John MacArthur in prison, to which his response was, I'll start a prison ministry, right? Some of my heroes have done that. I'll do the same. And it wasn't until they countered sued that they dropped all the charges and the church, Grace Community, did not pay one dime. The L.A. County paid, I believe, in excess millions of dollars, which covered all of, the, of the, the legal fees that were necessary to take that forward. So the Lord protected them. But it's a, it's a wonderful encouragement to hear our elders say, come and see what, 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 what is happening. There is a spiritual war going on. And another elder had mentioned that um, we think this might happen in the future. You heard that out of Jack's voice this morning. So maybe there's some insight for us as a church uh, to understand, to glean from this. So I encourage you, if you can make it tonight, we apologize for the short notice. Uh, this was their rules. They said, you have today, this is it. Uh, they've sent the digital uh, um, link, and so we're ready to go. And after it's done, we have to delete it. Uh, so there's no copying it, and there's no selling tickets and all those things that were part of it, which, of course, we're not going to do. But I just want to encourage you, come and watch. Come and see uh, how they navigated that and, and the, how the Lord works through his children who will just simply stand and say no to tyranny. So I encourage you to come. With that, what an intro, right? What an intro into uh, uh, the passage this morning, which I'm simply calling a believer's visible conviction. Uh, we left Paul uh, last week, and he is relishing in, in the idea of his weaknesses. He tells us, uh, I believe in verse 12, uh, no, excuse me, back up there, um, 10, therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. And he tells us, for when I am weak, then I am strong. 
One of the things that we noticed and hopefully you have seen in Paul's life as a powerful illustration is that what Paul says, he backs up with what he does. Paul has told us earlier in these, in these verses, um, in verse 6, where he tells us, I, I don't want you to build your faith off of, of a vision I had. Rather, I want you to build your faith on the power of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ and him crucified. He has never deviated from that message. And so he says, look, I want you to, to, to see the gospel at work in my life and in my preaching, my words, my teaching. And so we come to this area where last Sunday we saw that, that, that Paul has received, he's struggled with a thorn in his flesh, he's asked three times for it to be taken, and he's heard from our Savior these words, my grace is sufficient for you. Well, the question I have this morning is, what does that look like? What does God's grace is sufficient for you look like in the life of a believer? Well, I believe in these verses we're going to see Paul demonstrate that for us. Paul is going to continue to work with this church, and yet he is, he is operating with this a wonderful, powerful truth that all of this is not for his sake. It is, in fact, for Christ. There was a story shared about Hudson Taylor, who was invited to speak at a Presbyterian church in Melbourne, Australia. And the person announcing Hudson went on about his accolades and his achievements for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And right before he, he uh, presented him, he said, our illustrious guest, Hudson Taylor. Well, at this point, he was at the podium and he paused for a moment. And he said, dear friends, I am a little servant of an illustrious master. We almost hear the echo here of Paul. So we'll read these words in a moment where he thinks and knows that he's not inferior to these false apostles, and yet he is a nobody. See, the world, you and I, don't need, the world doesn't need more Christians who say they're Christians who don't live as Christians. And the world needs people who have some conviction. And the conviction is not simply in what they say, it is in who they are. And Paul is a person who's not going to deviate from this message. He's not going to cower to these false apostles. He's going to labor with wonderful conviction. We see it in his life. We see it in his words. In verses 11 through 13, he says this, I have become foolish. You yourselves compel me. Actually, I should have been commended by you. For in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. For in what respect... Were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. Let me offer a brief prayer as we look at this passage this morning. Father, as we turn to your word now, we ask that you would open it to us. 
that we would not be simply hearers of your word, but we would see it in application in our lives. And Father, for that, we ask that your spirit would be here teaching us, instructing us, showing us who you are and revealing who we are. And Lord, I pray that we would receive. Lord, please bring what we need today and get me out of the way. Lord, that that would take place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I've mentioned in the past, the past few Sundays, probably many times throughout this letter, that Paul is dealing with some false, right, some false apostles, some false teachers. There's been a big concern regarding uh, the raising of money. Paul did not uh, become a burden to them. He did not ask funds from them. They took that a little bit as an insult. The false teachers were definitely going around and stirring up some problems for Paul and saying, look, if he's not charging for his message, I guess his message isn't worth much. And culturally, that's some of the ideas that they were running with. So Paul is one that is coming and having to defend himself as a Christian, as an apostle. He's one that has to come yet again multiple times throughout the letters And say, look, this is who I am. He points to these wonderful revelations. He points to all these things that validate who he is. He's told us that this church was planted by the working of an apostle. And it was validated by the activity of God through signs and wonders and miracles. And yet we see Paul here, yet again, reminding them of who he is. We saw last week as he spoke of the grace of God that that it led him to suffer. There's a torment I have that it's growing in me. There's a purpose that God has in this. It compels Paul, compels us as we walk this life to trust. There's an element of faith. We know that God's grace is always at work and, and definitely the Lord wants to see us to mature. See it in Christ's power. And generate service. Someone who's come to Calvary, who knows what the Lord has gone through to redeem your soul, is not one who's going to be apt to say, you know what, how do I just sit on my hands and do nothing for this Savior? I'm convinced, I hope you are the same, that those who are redeemed by the blood of Christ want to follow Christ. When you think of blind Bartimaeus, what is it that you want of me? And Jesus asked him that question, I want to see. And Jesus says, well, if you start seeing, you can't beg anymore. Your livelihood changes. Without hesitation, I want to see. The Lord works that miracle in Bartimaeus' life. This is the other side, or excuse me, this is coming into Jericho. He follows Jesus, and within a week, those brand new eyes that finally see, he sees his Savior die on a cross. Conviction. I'm going to follow you. Paul, I'm going to stand. This is my life. This is what I profess. This is how I live. This is who I am. I'm not afraid of these imminent apostles. I'm not afraid of these false teachers. I'm not afraid of what the government can do. We saw the litany of all the things he suffered. I've been whipped many times. That's nothing new. Five times from the Jews, three times with the rods. Hey, man, I've been there, done that. Paul has some conviction. He's not quitting. His conviction is not just from his words, it's his life. What do we glean from this? This will be challenging for every single one of us, I pray. Hopefully it will edify you, encourage you. 
My first point is simply this, the believer's conviction is revealed by humility. And I'm not saying every humble person is saved, but, a, but a, believe, a believer, a saved person, will exemplify humility. They want to disappear. They want Christ to shine. That's part of our growing in sanctification. Paul says, I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you. For in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. Here's our hero. Uh, He has seen revelations from heaven in which he cannot express. Uh, God has given him that, and God has also given him um, an understanding of suffering. He's walking through all these things, and yet his conclusion here at this point is saying, I shouldn't have to speak to myself. I shouldn't have to write of all the things I've gone through. You, in fact, should be doing it. You know me. I mean, he's done this multiple times throughout the letter, and yet here he is, and he's saying, but even this, even this, I'm a nobody. We're dealing in this passage with uh, true believers. And Paul, no doubt, is a believer. There are some in the church who know Jesus as Lord and Savior. There are many in this church who are professing Christ who don't know. That's another group of people. And we have the false teachers who clearly don't know. Back in chapter 11, Paul equates them to working with Satan. So here's what's going on. This is what's happening in this church. You have real believers coming and and being confused. You have uh, professing believers who are not saved, who are adding to the problem. You have false teachers who are coming in and saying a whole bunch of things. He he hasn't taken money for his message. You shouldn't follow him or trust him. And Paul is saying, I shouldn't have to come and commend myself. You should be doing it. You would think at this point, Paul would say, you know what? I tried. I gave it the college try. Ronald Reagan would be proud, right? Wasn't that the the do it for the gipper? No, he presses on. He's told them in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said light shall shine Out of darkness is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I think what we see here is those who have experienced the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit are those who who have an outward demonstration of that inward conversion. Paul has changed the Corinthians should know this. Paul has planted the church on the gospel. There's been validation of miracles and signs, yet they are confused. These false teachers have come in to the point where they are questioning their apostle. Many of them are thinking, well, maybe, yeah, maybe he is too weak. Maybe he is too short. Maybe it's tongue-tied. Yeah, that really bothers me. And maybe these guys are right. They weren't defending them. They are the ones that should have been writing about all that he has suffered. They should be writing about his humility, continuing on and pressing on, not pointing to himself, but always pointing to Christ. He doesn't deviate. He doesn't come to this moment and say, listen to me. 
I'm the real deal. Remember those signs and wonders. Yet in humility, he labors here. He labors and says, you should know, yet I'm not inferior to those false eminent apostles. I am a nobody. See, in the Christian life, I believe this is self-evident. We are not going to think of ourselves. That's the pride that puffs our minds up. We should be seeking a, a humble stance, walking with the Lord in, in faith and in obedience, trusting in who He is. This should mark our character. It's not sim- simply something we say. It is who we are. It should exude from our lives. It should exude from the leadership of a church, from the pastors and elders. It should be marked as those who are deputy shepherds serving the congregation. But here's the problem. It's the ongoing problem. We esteem self above God. We have in this church, we have those who are false teachers saying, look, look at me. Look at what we've done. Look at what we're saying. Look how, how uh, we speak. Listen to our words. We have a church that's confused and thinking, uh, which is the right way? They've forgotten about the signs and wonders and miracles. Somehow along the line, that just uh, slipped out of their memory. How does Paul think of himself? How should a Christian think of himself? I'm not inferior to those false teachers. I know who I am in Christ, and yet I am a nobody. Here's our hero of the faith, the one who God has called to suffer great things, the one who has enjoyed this rapture revelation in which he cannot utter The one God, the sovereign God of all that has created all things has commissioned Paul to plant this church. This is the God who's validated Paul and validated his apostleship in front of them. And what is Paul's response? I am nobody. I think the modern church can learn a lot from this. They would open their Bibles. That should be part of our prayer. Paul lowers himself. He shows us who he is. It reminds me as I was studying this, I was thinking about Moses. Right? There's many other heroes of the faith, but if you go to chapter 11, verses 24 through 26, you read this. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He was looking to the reward. Moses was not esteeming self. He was esteeming God. Paul is not esteeming self. He's esteeming God. Then when we do that, when we place God high, we place Christ high, there is a natural humility that will begin, right? It'll it'll exude from us. Paul was the recipient of God's wonderful mercy and grace, just like you and I. He told Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 13 through 14, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor, Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. 
And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are founded in Christ Jesus. So this is us. Outside of Christ, there's no hope. We've come to believe and, and we've trusted in Jesus. We've experienced the grace. The Lord's working in us is humility, and yet we are to labor. We are to be those who are a voice, not only into our culture, but today inside the church. And it's a sad thing to add that you will be rejected. That you will be questioned. You will be doubted. You will be pressed to the point of saying, listen, this is who I am. This is what I've done. Nowhere do we see this in Paul. I'm a nobody. I'm not inferior to the eminent apostles, these false teachers, no problem. We can theologically debate things, I'll fix it. I know who I am in Christ. But it doesn't change. It doesn't change my character. See, Paul is not one who simply says, here's the gospel, follow him. No, he is one who is following him. His conviction is witnessed. I see it. Paul goes on to tell them, I, I am a nobody. You would think the false teachers would say, like Paul, well, we are nobodies too, but they don't quite get it. They don't understand this. And see, for us, regardless of the response, whether it's in the world or even in the church, as we serve Christ, as we live with humility, there's going to be rejection. There's going to be question. There's going to be those who just simply aren't going to follow along. That's not on you as you continue to follow Christ. Where humility shines. Paul to this church is a servant of Jesus Christ. He's a servant of illustrious master. And it doesn't change him. It's witness. What does the world need? It needs more Christians who don't just simply say they're Christians. The world needs Christians who will live as Christians. And not be afraid of what the world may say or the world may do or what even happens within the context of a congregation. Stand with Christ. Do not deviate. Because it's not about us. What does Paul tell us? All my suffering, all my weaknesses, all that I'm going through, I'll gladly embrace that. It's not for my sake. But it is for my Savior. So Paul shows this. He reveals this. He's revealed, right, his humility. He's not going to change he goes on to encourage this church, in which I'm saying is my second point here, is a believer's conviction is aligned with God's purposes. It has to be. If you're going to be humble and, and, and proclaim Christ, well, you're not going to or proclaim yourself, rather. You're going to be about God's purposes. And look what he tells and reminds the church. The sign of a true apostle were performed among you. You're not different than anybody else. This church is planted by God among you, right? This, these were performed and with you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. 
I mean, Paul's not here for his own sake. Paul didn't think, you know, this might be a good thing to do today and tomorrow. I just don't worry about it. No, he is persevering here. And not only he persevered to plant this church, he's persevering now. Why? It's God's church. He's not quitting. The disciples led and used by God. He, he's, God defines his ministry, validates his ministry. So what's the problem? The problem is you have a bunch of Corinthians who are imbibing the culture. We might say they're not just simply imbibing the culture. They've just embraced the culture. Or they just haven't, haven't kicked the culture out of the church yet. I mean, everything to them is brand new. We have to be a little gracious to them. But there's definitely a cultural influence. This is why they thought Paul wasn't a real apostle. He didn't speak right like the way we want our speakers are eloquent. Paul is not, so let's reject him. That's a cultural influence. See, the culture in their minds, their pagan ideas, and, their, and their, some of their pagan roots are, are coming to bear on what qualifies an apostle. And no doubt that has to be coming and shaping their idea of what a church actually is. They're not in line, right, with God. And Paul is coming and saying, look, God actually started you this way. Why are you deviating? There's great perseverance and sweat and blood and tears have gone into this. Why are you questioning? Let me ask you this question. What could happen to a church today if the Bible is not taken as actually true? What do you get if you had a church that thinks that God, in fact, changes? He learns and he adapts. What would happen to a church that imbibed those understandings? I don't think that's foreign to the church today. Go to Ligonier Ministry, look at the state of theology, and look at the rising numbers of professing evangelicals who believe that. What could happen? Well, we have. What do we see in the church today? We see Jesus becomes a role model, not a savior. He didn't come to die. He comes to, tell, to show you how to live and to love. That's like progressive Christianity 101. Behavior becomes more important than belief. Doctrine doesn't matter. A confessional statements. We don't need doctrinals to get rid of it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter from some of these teachers who are living right now, who pastor churches, who think it doesn't even matter if Jesus was born uh, from a virgin birth. It doesn't matter. How can a person who has sin save you? Sounds like it matters. That's being preached from pulpits. Love now, right, is, is redefined to accept and embrace all sexual orientation and confusion. Not, no, God, God made male and female, and that's it. Sin along with hell simply gets erased. Nothing new. These things have been happening. This culture is alive and well. If this is what is happening within the church, it's imbibing the culture, why would a church look to the culture or look to those things? Why would we look to anything outside of God's word to align us? That's what's happening in Corinth. Paul here asserts, this is what God has said. We planted this church of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, my, uh, my apostleship has been authenticated. Uh, the Lord has even backed this up with signs and wonders. You are a legitimate church. 
Paul is the real deal. He's not someone who is, who is off his kilter or crazy. He is fulfilling the purposes that God has placed upon him. He's a straightforward speaker. He has proclaimed the truth of Jesus Christ. He's living his life in line with the teaching that he has professed. He perseveres despite the rejection of the world and the suffering he receives from the world and even within the church. And yet God has validated his ministry with signs and wonders and miracles. Why? Because God is building his church and he builds his church through saints who will be in line with God's word. That's what he said he will do. And yet you have in this context, you have a bunch of professing believers and even young Christians who are yet confused. How easy is it for today, this is why theology matters, for Satan to walk into a church? Remember, Satan is the one who tried to trick our Savior. You think he's going to leave you alone. The spirit of the age is walking and making its way down the center aisle of countless churches. And because uh, people don't know their Bibles, they're not in line with what God's word says and the purposes it says, they are imbibing the spirit of the age. There are many false pastors, elders, Sunday school teachers, and so forth who aren't regenerated. It's a sad day and American Christianity. Can you imagine telling someone you really don't need Jesus to be saved? Paul told them in his first letter to the church in God in, which is in Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who in every place Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Paul's planted this church, and yet how many people will look to shiny things from the culture to say, this is what we want, this is what we need. This was the boast Right, the triumph of what God is doing. When Paul was in Acts, Acts chapter 14, verse 3, what does he say? He says, therefore, uh, they spent a long time there speaking boldly, right, clearly of Christ, with reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the world of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. Again, coming to the Jerusalem council, what do they boast about? It says all the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relenting, or excuse me, relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. What, do the, what are our heroes of the faith? What are they boasting about? These spiritual realities being in line with what God has proclaimed. Here is his gospel. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is not only what we say. This is how we live. And look what God is doing. See, his conviction is evident. We see it in his life. Paul did not say, I performed miracles. I did the wonders. No, God did this. Paul is... A nobody. See, today we are to labor, pursue. God has given you gifts, and He's going to expect you on that day of judgment that you will have expanded those gifts, those talents. You've used them for His purpose. 
Uh, we know God doesn't change. His word does not change. And we are here as his ambassadors to point people to Christ. Well, we better have an understanding of Christ. As I said at the beginning, there is no hope for those who are outside of Jesus Christ. We preach the gospel. We labor to make disciples. We point people to Jesus. Our life must be in line with that purpose. Paul, well, maybe Paul, the Hebrew writer, chapter 2, verses 2 through 4 says this. For if the word spoke through angels proved unalterable, God's word will not change. And every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. Born with sin, there's no hope. It says in verse 3, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Going back to these three groups of people we see in Corinth, what drives Paul? Well, there's believers there. There's false believers there. There are those who, who are saved, who are not saved. And we have a bunch of people who are confused. Paul says, with perseverance, we labored here. For us, I think we need to take that to heart. Perseverance means to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. We are called to grow in our understanding, in our theology, in our biblical intellect, if you will, that we would discern a right profession of faith, a right work of God, a counterfeit work of the evil one. We have to come to this conclusion, and you have to do this on your own between you and the Lord to understand why you are here. There's a story of the catcher for the Yankees, Yogi Berra, who's in the World Series with the Braves, and Hank Aaron was that bat. And Yogi Berra was trying to distract him as he was at the plate, and he told Hank Aaron, you're not doing it right, you're not holding the bat right. You're supposed to be able to read the words on the bat. To which Hank Aaron did not respond, but the next pitch he sent out out of the stadium and had a home run. As he rounded the bases, he came back to this catcher, Yogi Berra, and he said, I did not come up here to read. Came up here to hit home runs. The Lord hasn't placed you here simply to sit on your hands, simply to make a living. He knows you need to do that. He's placed you here in such a time as this, in this area, that you would be a light that shines, that you would have conviction marked by humility that's in line with God's purposes. And you have enough grit and conviction to not deviate from it. And it's people who know why you're here. I know why I'm here. I'm going to be a light that shines. I'm going to be involved in this ministry. I'm going to start this. I'm going to serve here. I'm going to get going. Why? Because the world cannot be redeemed outside of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
I don't care what Rob Bell may tell you or any emergent pastor may mention. It does matter. Doctrine matters. And my last point here this morning, as we see this, right, our conviction, it's visible. It's a visible conviction. It's revealed by humility. It's aligned with God's purposes. We persevere. And lastly, a believer's conviction will seek by ultimate purposes. Why are we here? We'll seek the benefit. It cannot not do this. Verse 13, 4, in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? There's this question. You have to scratch your head a little bit at this. He came and did all this. We got signs and wonders and miracles for free, all right? We didn't have to pay the apostle. I think that's funny. Apparently no one else does, but I think that's a hoot. And they're frustrated at it. But here you see, what is Paul doing? He is, he is called of God. We know this. He is serving this way. He's gone through everything he's gone through. He's persevering right now for the benefit of this church who have ultimately treated him poorly. But you see in his life the words of the Great Commission. He's going, he's doing, he's sending, right? He's preaching. This is what he's doing. And you think about it, that this church, even though it's, it's, I would imagine he's had multiple headaches from this church, maybe, maybe not, but he, he has spent more time with them than any other congregation, at least in written form. He's spent some energy. He's, he's dealt with all the, the generated problems that they've brought about, their, their confusion on things, their many demands. But yet because of this, because God called Paul to suffer this way and to suffer with this church, we have two wonderful canonical books written to the Corinthians, full of divine, wonderful theology on how we are as a church today to conduct ourselves. Paul's suffering, we look at this and go, there's no wasted days. Paul didn't waste, or God rather didn't waste one day with Paul. Think about what we've covered. This is not exhaustive in any way. Topics we've covered from 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He has talked about sin. He's talked about the physical body, the body of Christ. He's talked about the church, the gospel, Christian community, Christian discipline. He's talked about the day of the Lord, the unity in the church, the instruction for the church. He's discussed marriage and Christian liberty. He's talked about the old replacing the new. He's talked about what biblical love is, orderly worship, communion. He's spoken of the resurrection. He's covered spiritual gifts what it means to be generous. He's spoken about regeneration, about Christ's righteousness, about holy living. He spoke to glory, the new covenant, reconciliation, suffering, endurance, comfort, hope. We could go on. That's not exhaustive. Because of this, I think for a moment we could go, wow, we are benefits of these complaining Corinthians. Paul has served and continues to serve Now, though there is an element here where definitely he's talking about the, the offering, receiving offering from other churches and not them. They took that as an insult. They took that as Paul gave them something that was worthwhile. They received money from them, and what you gave us was, didn't compare. Paul offers his, forgive me. There has to be a moment here, I think, where we may scratch our heads and say, this, 
This is what you're upset about. This is why this apostle who has demonstrated signs and wonders and miracles suffered all that he has suffered, endured all these things, and you're a little bit put out because he wasn't a burden to you. I think for some of us, you know, when we serve and, and um, you know, we serve and we give our time and our life and our energy and we don't get the response we think we should get. First thing that pops in our minds is how many R's are in resignation. Doug Fields in a youth book many years ago that I read through spoke of a wonderful weekend he had with youth students. Uh, uh, serving and going extra hours and preaching the gospel and seeing kids come to know the Lord. And the, the following Monday after they came back from camp, one of the elders said, you didn't fill the van up with gas. I feel like that's kind of Paul's moment. Serve this, have done this. There's signs, wonders, there's all of this. Well, you weren't a burden to us. And I think life's like that sometimes. My wife can attest to the times I, I like to watch Christmas, Christmas vacation. And I like the one scene where he finally gets the lights going. And it had to be his father-in-law, which I think is just a, parent, just a part of the humor. Who tells him those little lights aren't, they're not twinkling. The whole light is a glow. The whole house is a glow. The whole neighborhood can't not, not see it. Those little lights aren't twinkling. Some of you now are starting to get, right? Yes. And it's easy for us to go, how many R's are in resignation? See, we are people of conviction. And we know why we're here. We didn't come to read... Louisville slugger on a bat came here to hit home runs. I'm not an illustrious servant. I'm a servant of a illustrious master. I'm not inferior to those eminent apostles, but I am a nobody. This conviction is demonstrated. I will not yield. I will continue to serve. Are you sure, Paul? You've done all of these things. You'll continue to have impact. It's easy for us to just say, well, fine, I'm out. I'll quit. But I think here, let Paul be an example to you. He's not quitting. We may think today that my life, my, my influence, my, my gifts, they don't have that big of an impact, Pastor. You just don't understand. And my response is, stop it. I believe that your conviction that's rooted in a simple humility, to walk humbly with your God, that your desire by the Holy Spirit to align your life with his word and to serve in God's church in the most menial task has kingdom impact. It's the, those who, who won't quit. It's those who've understood I've come here to, to hit home runs. Stop giving up. 
Stop listening to the lies. Stop listening to the world. Stop doing those things and start looking at his word. Start realizing the redemption that you have. Stop realizing the Savior who has overcome the world. Start realizing that, that he who is greater, uh, he that's in you is greater than he that's in the world. Start trusting God. Paul has been praying. He is struggling. He is physically suffering. Lord, take this. He has heard the words, my grace is sufficient. That's all he needs to hear. I'll continue to go forward. And it's evident as he points people to Jesus Christ, him crucified. This is his message. This is his life. Uh, The world needs is not more Christians saying they're Christians. The world needs Christians who will pick up that cross and follow Jesus despite those who will question despite the rejection. This is what the world needs. Because just like Paul, just like Hudson Taylor, every redeemed soul, every redeemed soul serves an illustrious master. And all the resources that our master has are accessible to to us. So let your life Show the life of conviction. It's revealed by humility. It's aligned with God's purpose as it seeks the benefit. It has to. We've got to go make disciples. We've got to go love some people and tell them about Jesus. We want to love the church and teach all that Christ has commanded. It has to. That's why we're here. Let's be those who hit home runs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that... It does not change. It's true today. It is eternally true forever. And Lord, I, I pray over this message. I know that it's, uh, it, it's going to resonate in us. It's going to confront us. It is your word. We see in Paul his dedication to serve you, to be committed to you, despite um, the struggle in this church. He will not compromise. And so I pray for us. I believe, Father, this little congregation can do great things for you, just simply living our conviction. You didn't call us here to read words on a bat, but to be swinging for the fence. You called us here to be those who are marked as servants, as nobodies who realize who they serve. Uh, Lord, you've called us to, to be the hands and feet of Christ, to be an embassy from heaven on earth. Then let us live that way, not simply say it. Let us seize every opportunity in which to, to benefit the others because of Christ, not our sake, but the, for the sake of Christ. Let us relish in the in the, the rejections and the persecutions like Paul. Let us relish in our weaknesses that Christ the power of Christ, the one who's overcome the world, would demonstrate his might, Lord, through us. Our world desperately needs Christ. And Lord, you desire to work that through your children. And let us be those who realize why we are here. That the gospel would be heard from our words and seen from our lives. Lead us that way. And Lord, I ask that the evil one would not take, Lord, the truths of your word or the seeds that have been planted today, but let, Lord, these truths resonate and grow in us. 
that we would grow in confidence to take that next step of faith, Lord, to step out, to invite, to, to engage in evangelism, and to engage in apologetics, to speak, and whatever, Lord, whatever the, the next step might be, lead us that way, the power of your Holy Spirit, and let it be, Lord, for your glory. And let us realize, Lord, let us realize why we are here. Father, we thank you, we love you, we pray all this in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.